Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. As most of you know, Leif and I had our second child, Miriam, in December. And our three and a half year old Jonathan is adjusting. <laughs> he seems to have successfully come through the stage of being angry every time mommy holds the baby. But now we've entered into this new stage uh, where Miriam is just enthralled with her brother. And every time she sees him, she just lights up this big smile. It's awesome. Except that she wants to, she's involved in everything he's involved in. So if he's playing with a toy, she's very interested in that toy as well, which has led to some heartache on Jonathan's part because he does not want to share. So this week I was sitting with Jonathan. We were playing blocks. Miriam was kind of sitting next to me. So I handed her one because, you know, she's trying to figure out how to do the hand-eye coordination thing. And at that exact moment, Jonathan decided he needed that block. So he grabbed it from her little baby hand. He's like, no, baby sister, I need this one. It's like, okay, I'm going to let that one go. So I gave her another block, but he needed that one again. So he did it again, grabbing it from her little baby hand. And we're working on it, you know, but I said, Jonathan, we need to share. And he asks that question that three-year-olds never stop asking. Thank you. Why? <laughs> Why should I share with my baby sister? So I said, you know, sharing shows your sister that you love her. And that did not seem to land at all with Jonathan. <laughs> so a few minutes later when he did it again, I gave a different reason to his question why. I said, well, she's a baby. We need to teach her how to, sh how to play. That also didn't land. But this kind of thing happens all the time. And Jonathan will ask, why do I need to share? Why is this a thing I need to learn to do? And we always try to speak his language. We give him one reason after another after another because he needs to learn how to play nice because it's nice to play together because she loves him and he's such a nice boy because, 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 and the list goes on and on and on. And while we're trying to speak his language and help him understand the importance of sharing, the big picture is we want Jonathan to learn how to share because we want him to grow to be a generous person. We want Jonathan to be a person who gives. This morning, we're wrapping up our sermon series, Money Wise, where we look at the book of Proverbs in the Bible. Proverbs is filled with God's wisdom on how to live righteously in the world. Pastor Tim talks about it as God's wisdom is like the wood grain of the world. Wise people learn to live with the grain, and, and unwise people tend to splinter against it. So in this series, we look to the book of Proverbs and ask, what does God, God's wisdom have to say to us about our relationship with money? And by now in the series, we have come to the conclusion that it has quite a bit to say. In our first week, John Thornton preached about receiving and the importance of acknowledging that all we have, we have received from God. The second week, Pastor Tim preached about earning. And he has said that God has given each and every person an earning capacity and when we use that earning capacity diligently and within the wise limits God has given us, we honor God and we contribute to other people's flourishing. Then we looked at saving and talked about how saving money is difficult because it requires delayed gratification, but it's also wise because it blesses other people and prepares us for the unexpected. And last week we looked at borrowing and God's wisdom warns us about borrowing and going into debt because borrowing money is a kind of servitude and we are bound to repay the money that we borrow. But he also reminded us that we are all indebted to Jesus for what he did for us on the cross. So today we're back in the book of Proverbs one last time, wrapping up our series. 
and asking, what does the book of Proverbs have to teach us about giving? Now, if you've spent much time in the church at all, you've probably heard a sermon or two about giving. I grew up in the church. I heard many of them. Comedian Bob Hope once famously told a story about when he was on a plane and it started going into a spin and heading straight for Earth. And everyone was panicking, naturally, so someone shouted, do something religious. So he took up an offering. (laughs) 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 I knew that might get it. (laughs) But in all seriousness, uh, I am new to this church body. But in my short time here, I've already witnessed the amazing generosity of everyone here. Uh, we are, you are generous to the church, to one another, to the community. As a pastor, you know, sometimes you know that the sermons you give, you give because your congregation really needs to learn something. And other times, you know the sermons you're giving, you're giving because, well, they already really know this really well, but it's always good for a reminder, right? <laughs> or an encouragement. I know that this is a reminder sermon here this morning. So let's dive in and hear what Proverbs has to say to us about giving. If you are willing and able, would you join me in standing to hear from the word of the Lord today from a few places in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. Do not say to your neighbor, come back tomorrow and I'll give it to you when you already have it with you. From chapter 11, one person gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Chapter 19, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he will reward them for what they have done. And from chapter 28, those who give to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to them will receive many curses. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So these Proverbs speak to two kinds of giving. Giving to God and giving to those who are in need. The first proverb we read fits under the giving to God category, and the rest of them really fit under the second category, giving to those in need. And this first category, giving to God, we often call this our tithe. In Hebrew, the word translated as tithe is also can be translated as tenth. It comes from the same word. And we read in the Old Testament that God's people were giving a tenth of what they had to God. And this idea of tithing, of giving a tenth, chronologically in the story of the Bible, shows up first in Genesis chapter 14, where we read that Abraham experienced a great victory and he was blessed by Melchizedek, a priest of God Most High. In response, Abraham gives this priest a tenth of what he has. Tithing then appears again in Genesis 28 in the story of Jacob, where he's running from his brother Esau and God meets him and says that God will provide for him. And in response, Jacob says that he will give back to God a tenth of whatever he has given. So those two stories are the first time this idea shows up, and they're stories of people coming up with this idea on their own, which is interesting. But also, this idea of God commanding the people to give a tenth shows up in the scripture as well. God's own instruction first shows up in the book of Leviticus, in chapter 27. 
A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Whoever would redeem any of their tithe must add a fifth of the value to it. Every tithe of the herd and flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod, will be holy to the Lord. No one may pick out the good from the bad or make any substitution. If anyone does make a substitution, both the animal and its substitute become holy and cannot be redeemed. These are the commands the Lord gave to Moses at Mount Sinai for the Israelites. So in this passage, the Israelites are commanded by God in this law of God to give a tenth of what they had. And in an agrarian society, a tenth would be an animal or crops. And it's very specific. Whatever tenth animal it is that passes under the shepherd's staff, well, that's the one you give. If it's your best one, you can't, you can't trade it out or else both of those things you're thinking about trading out are going to become holy. It's very specific. But what are they to do with these tithes? Where do these tithes go? The book of Numbers helps us to fill that in. In chapter 18, we read, I give to the Levites all the tithes in Israel as their inheritance in return for the work they do while serving at the tent of meeting. From now on, the Israelites must not go near the tent of meeting or they will bear the consequences of their sin and will die. It is the Levites who are to do the work at the tent of meeting and bear the responsibility for any offenses they commit against it. This is a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. They will receive no inheritance among the Israelites. Instead, I give to the Levites as their inheritance the tithes that the Israelites present as an offering to the Lord. This is why I said concerning them, they will have no inheritance among the Israelites. So the tithes go to the people of the clan of Levi, who tend the services at the sanctuary. They have no land to inherit as the other tribes do. So this is how they make their living. This is a means of supporting the ministry of God. So God commands God's people to give a tenth of what they have each year to God. And this is used to support this ministry. The New Testament also carries this idea of giving to support the ministry forward, although it's not as specific about how much is given. We see this in 1 Corinthians 9. I won't read it all for you, but here Paul is instructing the church at Corinth to help provide for those who work in the ministry. 1 Timothy 5, 17, he writes to Timothy and instructs him to ensure the welfare of those working for the gospel. And really all of this is the basis for the Christian belief that we are to tithe, to give 10% to the church, to the ministry, to provide for the ministry and the welfare of those working for the gospel. One of the things I find really fascinating as I read through these things about tithing is that um, I feel most people don't know that the ministers, the priests, were not exempt from this tithe. They too were called by God to give a tenth of what was given to them. In Numbers 18, God instructs them to do this. This is why most pastors I know, myself included, tithe back to the church from what we earn. This is this first kind of giving. This tithe, this giving that we give to God. Proverbs puts it as giving the first fruits of what you have to God, your very best. But the second kind of giving God calls God's people to is giving to those in need. And the rest of the Proverbs that we had for this morning fit under that category. And that's really an indicator of how many times God tells God's people to care for those in need throughout Scripture, over and over and over again. So here are just a few this morning, some from the Old Testament and some from the New, and my summaries. 
From Leviticus 19, 9 through 10, you see God instructs the Israelites not to collect all the produce from any field they own, but to leave some so that those without fields, those without food, can glean from it. Leviticus 25, 35, Deuteronomy 15, 7 through 8, God instructs Israelites to care for any foreigner or, or fellow Israelite who can no longer provide for their own needs. Deuteronomy 14, 28 through 29, talks of an additional tithe that the people were to give every three years, and the recipients of those tithes would be those in need, the poor, the foreigner, the fatherless, the widows. And from the New Testament, Matthew 19, 21, and Mark, 21, Mark 10, 21, Jesus tells a rich young ruler to sell what he has and give to the poor. In Luke 12, 33, teaches, Jesus teaches that believers are all to sell what they have and give to the poor, so they will have treasure instead in heaven. Romans 12, 13 describes holy living as caring for those who are in need. Hebrews 13, 16, God is pleased when we, when we do good and share with others. Philippians 2, 4, don't look to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Ephesians 4.28, work so you have something to give to those in need. Luke 3.11, if you have extra clothes or food, give to those who don't have any. Acts 2.45, the people of the New Testament church sell their property and their possessions so that they can care for one another. Over and over and over and over again, God calls God's people to care for those who are in need in their communities. And it's really beautiful. God calls us to do this as a way of being, as a character of who we are because we are called God's people. And it's not only God's people individually who are called to do this. I would argue that the house of God is not excluded from this as well. The place where God's worship, the church. So many of us are familiar with the story of the widow's might in Mark 12, uh, where Jesus is people watching in the temple and he sees many wealthy people coming in to parades of, of music and fanfare and people watch them give a lot of money to the temple. And amongst everyone, there, there comes a, a poor widow who comes up and gives the last two pieces that she has, the last she has to live on to the temple. And Jesus sees her and honors her character. But I think one of the main points of that story often goes unnoticed, and that is that this story never should have happened in the first place. The temple never should have taken the last of this widow's money, all she had to live on. Instead, because she's a poor widow, the temple should have been providing for her and meeting her needs. Barbara Brown Taylor points out that immediately before the story of this widow tithing, Jesus condemns the religious scribes for devouring widows' houses. Then he goes and sees this widow give what she has, and then he leaves the temple and proclaims that it's all going to come crashing down. In context, that story sounds a lot like, wow, the house of God is not doing what it should be doing to care for the least of these, to care for those in need. Giving to those in need is not a command only given to God's people. It is also something the house of God should be doing as well. Uh, some of you might not know that Glenkirk really is committed to being a church that gives. Uh, I'm incredibly proud to be a part of a church that gives as Glenkirk does. By partnering with local ministries that care for those in need in our community, like Shepherd's Pantry and Neighborhood Homework House. But this church also gives financially as a part of our budget to organizations and ministries around the world who are doing that work of God, of caring for those who are in need around the world. But we also aim to give to those in our church community 
who may be in need. Uh, we have a special deacon's fund that's set aside for that. You can see the envelopes for it in the pews in front of you. And if you are in a season of need, if anyone in our community is in a season of need, they can, they can apply for help through that. But beyond that, we also give a meal or prayer, offer community. Let us know if you are struggling and in need because we seek to be the house of God that God calls us to be in meeting needs. We are committed to be a church that gives. So what does this book of Proverbs teach us about giving? Specifically, giving money. It says, give to God and give to those in need. And these two categories are spoken of, not only in Proverbs, but throughout the Old and New Testaments, as God's people are called to give to God and anyone in need. But as my three-year-old Jonathan says when I ask him to share his toys, why? <laughs> why should we give to God and those in need? What is the purpose behind it? What is the meaning? Well, as Old Testament scholar John Golden Gay points out, God has given so many reasons in Scripture for why. After all, God is our loving parent who aims to answer our constant whys. And so why should we give to God and those in need? Scripture says, because giving expresses gratitude to God. Because giving shows devotion to God. Because giving is an act of worship towards God. Because giving supports the ministry and those working for it. Because giving benefits those in need. Because giving protects us from the allure of wealth. Because God will give you blessings in return, because it's all God's anyway, because we will obtain treasures in heaven, because, 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 and on and on and on the list goes. There are so many reasons listed in scripture for why we should give. And like a parent teaching their child to share, God is trying to speak our language and help us to get it. But in my opinion, the big picture, God wants us to give because God wants us to grow to be generous people. God wants us to be a people who give. As Leif and I have been trying to help Jonathan learn to share, we've been reading a lot about parenting, some from parenting books, but you know, I'm a millennial, so a lot from Instagram as well. And I saw this great post that said, you can make a child share their toys, but you can't make them choose to be generous. If you want your kids to be generous, you need to model generous giving. If you want your kids to be generous, you need to model generous giving. Oof. <laughs> In other words, kids are less likely to do what you say and more likely to do what they see you do. And that's great advice for parenting. And you know what? That's exactly what God does for us. God doesn't just ask us to give generously. God shows us what giving generously looks like. First, God gives. First, God provides for us, listens to us, blesses us. Scripture says that every good and perfect gift comes from God. Everything we have has been given to us from God. And if that wasn't enough, Jesus gave his life for us. John 3.16 reminds us that for God so loved the world that God gave God's one and only son, that whoever should believe in Jesus should not perish, but have eternal life. God gives, God models giving generously and asks his children to give as well. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. 
Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. Do not say to your neighbor, come back tomorrow and I'll give it to you when you already have it with you. One person gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. Those who give to the poor will lack nothing. But those who close their eyes to them receive many curses. Proverbs is clear that giving is important to God. And we are in a series called Money Wise, so naturally we are talking about giving money, but it's important to point out that giving is much more than that. Giving is about our time, our energy, our creativity, our sense of justice, our words, our attention. So I think the real question here is, how is this concern of God, how is giving embodied in our lives? How is giving embodied in your life? I've seen giving be embodied in many different ways, both financially and in ways that have nothing to do with money. Leaf and I have friends who really challenge us in how they give. Uh, one couple in particular, they had this goal when they got married to tithe 10% to their church and to set aside 10% of their income outside of that as a generosity fund. And that's a really big goal. It took them quite a few years to build up to being able to tithe 10%, to being able to set aside 10% more. But now, four kids and many years later, they're still committed to that kind of living because that's how they are convicted. We are also challenged by some other close friends of ours in how they give. And these friends, they don't have much financially to give, and yet they are the most generous people we know. They tithe what they can, but they truly give of their time and their resources. When their car is working, they give people rides. When someone they know is lonely or hurting, they have them over for dinner. When the youth group at a small church has nowhere to meet, they open their home for them. When someone doesn't have a place to live, they let them live in their spare room. When someone has had surgery and can't clean their house, they call up all their friends. Leaf and I were recipients of that call. And we all show up and we scrub floors and we wash dishes. These friends have never been able to have children of their own. And so they have worked in professions that benefit kids. And they do those in needy communities. These friends exude generosity. They can't help but give out of who they are because it is who they are. And we are inspired by them. As we've gone through this Money Wise series, we've seen that we are all different. We're all in different places regarding receiving and earning and saving and borrowing. And yes, the same is going to be about giving. We seek to embody the wisdom of Proverbs in our lives and our finances and it's gonna look different for each of us. There are many ways to give and to embody generosity. So how is this concern of God? How is giving embodied in your life? Because the big picture is that God wants us to be generous people. God wants us to be a people who give. May we be a people who hear the wisdom of Proverbs and put it into practice. May we be a people who are wise with our money and how we receive it, how we earn it, how we save it, how we borrow it, and how we give it. 
May we be a people who embody generosity in who we are and how we live. May we be a people who give to God and those in need. May we be a people who give. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Gracious and wise God, your wisdom teaches us to be giving people. Help us to apply your wisdom in how we give and in who we are. May we be generous as you are generous. And God, on this Mother's Day, we acknowledge that you brought all things into being. And through Jesus, we are born again into new life. Through trial and truth-telling, touch and tenderness, you nurture your people in the way that we should go. Thank you for all the women in our midst who follow in your footsteps, sacrificing for those around them and giving of themselves to raise up new life. Bless them this day, we pray. Amen.